Boys and girls, your ears are not deceiving you. It's actually Monday and this is actually Scouted Weekly on time. This week I have Steve and Lou with me and we chat about Jurgon and Xavi Gon, although that one doesn't work quite as well, as well as Antonio Nusa into the Premier League. Then we touch on Tommy Tactics Tuchel and his shenanigans in the Bundesliga, as well as play a round of the long-awaited handbook history. Spoilers, it does not go to plan. All that and more coming up on this week's Scouted Weekly. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, 29th of January. I'm Tom Curran and I'm in London where, guess what? It's grey again. But the sun is peeking out and it's not so cold anymore, so we're making some progress. Stephen Ganavis, how is life in Melbourne? Uh, hot, good, uh, can't complain. Socceroos are through to the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup, so all good, all good. Hot and good, Australia summed up. All right, and joining me for the first time from the rolling greens of Wales, you all know him as Scouted's Big Boffin and the man and who Michael spends Barry. far <laughs> and the man who spends far too much time building spreadsheets on players you've never heard of in your life. It's Lou Davies. Hi, Lou. Hello. Thanks for having me. How are things uh, in the wilderness? It's a bit of a shower overload on the podcast recently, but um, yeah, it's pissing down here as as pretty much normal. So you can't say that, mate. We'll get demonetized. Just put the explicit tag on it. Okay, we'll be fine. <laughs> Um, yes, Lou Overload, obviously I'm pronouncing your name wrong because we've done, uh, we've had many attempts at trying to get it right and I can't do it. So, um, uh, uh, Lou Overload for those who listen to the other podcasts, but your first time here, happy days. Indeed, um, indeed. boys, none of us, well, Stephen and I have not watched much football. Uh, Lou and I have not much watched much football this weekend, but happily most of the football happened off the pitch, um, starting with the big breaking news earlier last week, and that is Jurgen Klopp uh, is leaving at the end of the season. This has probably been talked to death by everyone under the sun already, but I thought we'd have our our moments. Um, I guess you boys know that I'm very prone to hyperbole, and that is why I'm not an analyst. But I do think it's quite difficult to be hyperbolic about good old Jürgen and what he's done for the Premier League. I think in 10 years, 20 years, we'll look back and when we're writing the history of this period in Premier League, uh, football will, we'll talk about it as the start of the dawn of the uh, state-owned superpowers and how one man kind of stood up to them and uh, went toe-to-toe with you know, one of the greatest teams of all time, wielding the most money in all t- of all time with the greatest manager of all time. Um, Steve, any favourite Jürgen moments that you want to talk about? Um, when he pulled his hamstring celebrating a goal, that was hilarious. When he runs up to the ref and he pulls his hamstring, I saw that video a couple of hours after, uh, after he'd resigned and I thought that's kind of just epitomises something about him. He's just enigmatic and he just brought something fresh and fun and different to the Premier League, I thought, um, especially in contrast to the the Pep era of control and dominance. He was always the eclectic 
do it his way kind of manager and do it differently. And it was always just so much fun. So I think it's going to be a big loss to the Premier League. Um, Liverpool in the last five, six, seven years has just has just added a, a different dynamic um, that I think the Premier League is going to be a lot uh, or much poorer without now that he's going to be gone in six months' time. Yeah, he was the the heavy metal to Guardiola's kind of orchestral uh, grace, I guess. But um, that's kind of... That that contrast was really interesting at the beginning. I think things have um, kind of moved towards each other now. Um, but certainly off the pitch, he was just as interesting on it. Lou, um, anything to add on the past 10 years of Klopp? Um, it's just that he showed that you can do it against Manchester City. Um I think there's like this massive dread among a lot of Premier League fans that they're some unbeatable juggernaut, but he's shown that you can compete, that you can compete in a way that's sustainable, that's accessible to at least, what, 15% of the clubs in the Premier League. I know a lot of the other clubs can't really do what Liverpool have done, but the Arsenals, the Chelsea's, the Spurs's, the all them sort of clubs, if they follow that sort of model, they can do it. Um, so it's not a, a massive doom and gloom session. There is a bit of hope there. Um, but apart from that, just the man himself, I think he's probably the closest thing that we've had to Arsene Wenger in terms of the way he can speak about social issues, the way he can speak about things that are going on in the world with a with a, with a a perspective that is aligned to a, a lot of what younger people think, I think. And obviously how that fits in with the city of Liverpool just a massive synergy there between what he is as a as a man and what that city is as a as an entity. So and as a club. So uh, yeah, I think it's a massive loss for the Premier League. Um, but I hope he does enjoy the time off because he deserves it. I think that's a great point as well. Just to to jump in, just the the connection with the fans. Like, man, some of the like, the the memoirs of basically people like reliving the ten years, and it's like everyone's like kind of developed this really personal connection with him um and you know even when maybe an outsider sees like some of the ways he celebrates with the fans and you might think oh it's a little bit cringe or whatever but like for for the fans and for him it's it's i think it's extremely genuine and uh he's taken all those fans uh along for a massive ride for for 10 years now and uh i think he deserves every bit of praise he's going to get over the the uh, journey home and maybe a title as well at the end of it yeah, so we're going to talk about that very shortly. Um, I just wanted to say that when you said, you know, 10 years, I've realized he joined Liverpool around the same time that we launched Scouted. Um, and I distinctly remember, you know, his his kind of great Dortmund side was a really big uh, kind of inspiration for, I think, a lot of people, a lot of young journalists, especially looking to towards the continent for, you know, young, exciting players. Um, and I very distinctly remember like talking to or listening to German based journalists talk about Klopp and why he was going to be such a good fit for Liverpool. And they said like the energy of Dortmund and the yellow wall and the fans, that's something that Jürgen thrives off and it's a perfect fit for him to come to Liverpool and connect with a cop and connect with a city. Um, and those are the environment, that's the environment that he works best under. And it's just like, it couldn't have worked 
more exactly like that. Um, he really embodies, I think, the spirit of the club um, on and off the pitch. And yeah, I, I worry about a lot about the ongoing competitiveness of this sport um, with what's happening off the pitch um, financially and stuff. But you need guys like this that just massively overperform what anyone could reasonably expect. Um, and they have to do it over and over again. And it's no no wonder he's run out of energy, I guess. Um, Stephen touched on there that this is going to affect Liverpool this year. They're currently leading the Premier League. Um, I think as an Arsenal fan, looking at this club riding this emotional wave, like the circumstances could not be more perfect for them to go on and do something ridiculous. Um, so how do you think this is going to affect them over the next three or four months? I got... I feel like it could either like just implode and fan out really sadly, or it's just going to be the heroic, you know, massive winning streak run to the end of the season and kind of take it all. Um, it's hard to see it kind of falling middle ground because the emotional emotional aspect of this will be really really strong. And if the wheels kind of start to fall off, you'd be thinking, oh, you know, the coach is leaving end of the season. You can see how that could kind of spiral and start to start to go poorly, but. I think his impact also will not just like finish the moment he leaves the club. As we talked about last week, he's bringing through and giving opportunities to a bunch of young players that are going to have some sort of impact uh, on this club for a long period of time. Um, so I think, and, and also the development that he's brought to a bunch of players that Liverpool have signed and, and that's going to remain. So yeah, it's, I think that the, the dynasty impact of someone like Klopp can be, you know, not just encompass their time at the club, but also set the, the direction for for quite a long time. And it wouldn't surprise me if it influences a lot the type of manager that the Liverpool go after as well. And uh, especially like seeing, you know, this style of football really works for this club and, and maybe wanting to try and tap into uh, looking for a manager that plays as similar a style as possible. Yeah, I was listening to someone, I can't remember who it was, a journalist talk about um, how Klopp's leaving almost in the middle of a rebuild and how that contrasts with, for instance, how Alex Ferguson left or even Arsene Wenger left, um, where it seems almost strange to leave in the middle of what, you know, Klopp's just made this huge midfield rebuild and he's got all these young players coming through and I think everyone felt that they were in the middle of something and that's why this announcement seems so odd but it makes more sense to leave with all this momentum you know momentum in the squad where you can see how they're going to look in two or three years um, rather than at the end of the cycle Um, so Lou how do you feel about where this leaves Liverpool and the players um, now and and moving forward for the next few years I think they're in a pretty strong position going forward Um, I think had he left last summer it would have been much more difficult in terms of the way they were moving on from Mane and Firmino and trying to rebuild that sort of midfield core. So he set them on in the right path, I think. Um, again, maybe if he if he left in two or three years when Salah and Van Dijk were leaving, for example, then you're in a bit of trouble there in terms of in terms of how you can go forward. But now you're getting a man and well, a next coach who can hopefully shape that squad into what he wants as well, rather than building on what Klopp's done. So I think in general, they're in a pretty good position. They've got a good academy crop coming through. Most of them probably won't go on to be 
Trent level starters, which is a high bar anyway. But I think just in terms of that continuity, in terms of that that strength in depth, it's it's everything's going in the right direction. I think so. Yeah, interesting one to watch. Indeed. Um, anything else we want to say about this guy? It's a, obviously a seismic moment in Premier League history, but it's also just like I don't know. It's just it's weird. To think he's only been there for 10 years it feels like you know a Wenger or a Ferguson type thing but like we can all remember when he joined and certainly that wasn't true for the other boys so um yeah anything to add uh not too much I think it would just be perhaps interesting just to see how it affects the the managerial domino um but other than that I think it's just a a sad moment that uh, a Premier League legend, I think he would, even though he's only won one title, I think just the, the impact that he's had after you know such a long period where Liverpool were so up and down and he's brought consistent success to that to that club. So I think uh, the Premier League's losing a character. So it'll be yeah sad to see him go, but uh, I'm sure Liverpool will have options aplenty in terms of managers that will want to go uh, coach that club at the foundations that are set there. So I think... It's all about now narrowing down what they want and then they'll have the pick of the field, I'm sure, of, of who can come in next. All right, let's talk about one of those dominoes falling then. Um, it was a week of people saying they were leaving off the field uh, and the other was this weekend, Xavi Hernandez said he would be gone from Barcelona by the end of the season. Um, he was under enormous pressure for a long time um, kind of under the radar how much it was building in Spain. Um, Lou, what are your thoughts on, I guess, Xavi's overall tenure? Because it's been quite a strange journey full of a lot of hope, followed by kind of this very slowly deflating balloon. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it in terms of that deflating balloon. It, it sort of reached the pinnacle very quickly and, and quickly just fizzled out um i think barcelona are just a weird club in general like it, it's it's i struggle to put my finger on them there's obviously the massive egos within the club that want to want to spend money want to bring the best players in but that's not the right approach for where they are financially i think that f- the financial aspect of it is such a huge thing in terms of how that's constrained the club how that's almost pitting people against each other within the club. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the thing that will define Xavi's reign at, at Barca is how he was probably fighting against different things, trying to manage everything and how it's just such a, a basket case of a club to manage. He came in with very little top-level managerial experience Um but there was a lot of hope, I think, probably predicated on just Barcelona's history of ex-players coming in to manage. And especially the kind of player that Xavi was fits, I guess, the prototypical, this guy's going to be a really good manager. Um, Steve, he's done a ton of work with bringing teenagers in, especially from La Masia. Um, you mentioned last week that these, we, we talked about, Kubasi and Yamal slightly and you mentioned these guys are like way above the standard you'd expect for their age and already good enough to be playing 
senior football. So I just wanted to ask about what you think the role of those kids has been under Xavi. Would they have made it in under a different manager or how much um, praise does he deserve for how he's handled them? Because I guess some might look at it and say, like, you've got to because they've not got the financial resources to, you know, go and build a proper squad of senior players at a Barcelona level. And on the other hand, it's like, you have to bring these kids in carefully and it takes a skilled hand to do it, do so. So which side of the, the fence does this fall on? I actually, I just feel kind of sorry for, for Xavi. I think he's been dealt like an almost impossible hand in these couple of seasons. Um, they have the money to build a squad that is good and rounded and capable, but their money is parked in like the most weird ways imaginable. This, you know, paying tens of millions of euros in wage every year to Frankie De Jong and like he's a good player but he's not top 5 10 player in the world type of salary which is around what he's on um, you know they, they'd be paying Robert Lewandowski like stacks and even though they got him for you know not the biggest transfer fee he's you know he kind of arrived and started to fall off a cliff in terms of production um, so there is there was scope for them to put a good a good uh, squad in place and because they have their so much money parked in so few pieces then you're kind of filling in around the edges to kind of uh, make the squad work and that's really what's facilitated um, so many of these young players coming in early not that they're not ready they are um, but I think he's kind of had his hand forced a bit and they've come in and done so well as well that you know Yamal is just begging to be picked every week because he comes in and he plays better than the other options available. Um, but I think as, as well, the way that Xavi has integrated Yamal into the team has been uh, really impressive. And I wrote about it, you know, four or five months ago now when he's just coming to the team that he tries to like hide him from really difficult situations um, in terms of competing physically and just tries to maximize what he can bring to the table right now. And I think that that's showing in the, in the way that Yamal's performing. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think their squad is just extremely bizarrely constructed and they're, uh, I think it was the moment when they were selling the farm to just kind of keep the squad going. Like that's probably the moment where you have to sit back and be like, maybe we just need to blow this squad up and kind of start from the ground up and, 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 you know, and do things the right way. Like you know, like Milan did or like Juventus are currently trying to do. Um, but instead, you know, they had the new president come in and they kind of doubled down and said, no, 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 we're going like Galactico style and we are signing everyone and we're selling half of our club to be able to afford everything. And, you know, they won the league last year, but I think, you know, it only lasted so long, the, the good times. And now they're back in that kind of moment where they just can't consistently like, get it together every single week. Um, so... Yeah, I think, again, him leaving is a product of the toxic environment of the club from the political level to the fans and, and everything around it, which I think is a shame because he's a legend of the club and, um, you know, maybe a little bit more time he could have gone on to, to achieve bigger and better things. But uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles at Barcelona. Sometimes there's so much pressure for, for success every season and I think he's the victim of that a little bit. So... I guess two questions. Where do the club go next? And how is that, from our perspective, do you think could that affect 
players like Hector Fort and Yamal and Kubasi, or have they done enough to establish themselves as full senior squad players now and they're not going anywhere regardless of who comes in? Luke? I think I think Yamal is of that level already. Um, I think he's going to stick whoever comes in next. I think it's that that up-and-coming generation again that is, could be in a bit of trouble. It, obviously, it depends a lot on who the next coach is. I think Thomas Tuchel is, is making some, is trying to flirt with the club a little bit. Um, w- would he be the right coach for that for that group of players? Probably not. If you look at the way he's he's treated um, academy prospects at Chelsea um, and now at Bayern, um, yeah, probably not the best fit. So I'd be a little bit worried about that up and coming generation. The ones that are on the fringe, basically like Hector Fort, maybe Paul Kubarsi, but they are of the level to do to fill squad roles straight away. So um, they should play, they should be used, they should be utilised. Whether they will or not is a case of egos, I think. Um, I think what Stevie says about the political aspect is is really pertinent. These presidents have a limited time in, in, in their office, so they try and be as popular as they can, try to bring in the likes of Lewandowski, try and renew everyone, try and buy all the all the Galactico names, if you will. Um, and that isn't good for the mid to long-term health of the club. So, yeah, if I was in charge, I'd be building the squad around this new generation of La Masia talent and I'd be in, uh, getting in a coach who will trust that talent. So the dominoes are falling. Uh, the narrative pick, obviously, is Shabby Alonso to Liverpool. Um, and I should mention last night, the press in Spain went a bit crazy with claiming Mikel Arteta is done with Arsenal and heading back to his homeland uh, for the Barcelona job. Very quickly dispelled out of hand, um, which... Me, I think Barcelona is a weird job, right? Because you can see any manager in the world wanting to take the Liverpool job. Um, like we mentioned, they're in the middle of a rebuild. But Barcelona is like, you have to deal with so much stuff off the pitch. Um, Steve, you were just typing stuff. you have stuff to add? I just think those... like The, the problem for Barca is if they are trying to sign a mark, like a top-level marquee manager, like... What do they really have to offer to them? Like, you can't say, oh, we're going to go and sign X player, Y player, Z player. Like, they don't have the money to do that. So, really, in a bit of a bind. And I think that's like the, if you're a Kubasi or a Fort or a Yamal, you're thinking, well, I'm pretty safe here because, like, who the hell are the club going to sign that's going to be, you know, guaranteed better than I am? Like, they've signed, you know, heaps of players already that aren't playing ahead of Yamal. So what's, you know, someone new going to do? Um, but then you also have the counterweight of that in that uh, the marquee manager is going to want to come if they're saying, okay, you're going to be having to play, you know, 17, 18-year-olds, like three or four of them in your squad or in your first 11 every week, which, you know, it's weird because Xavi was kind of willing to do that. He is almost like forcing it uh, and he might not get other managers that are uh, as keen to do that and, when you think about how key the Academy of Barcelona is going to be, in my opinion, to rebuilding the foundations of the club, especially financially, if nothing else, um, 
you need a manager that's going to come in and and really force that. Uh, and there's you know not that many you know Thomas Tuchel as as Lou said is not the type of manager that comes in and is like yes I can't wait to play all these players out of the academy. You know he looks to senior players and his veterans and 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 does it that way. Um, so it's a real bind. I think the only way to fix things up is you know shedding some of your veterans on long, big contracts and then Barcelona are in a unique position. Like they get guns out of their academy almost every season. Like you could in two to three years, like have an 11 that's mostly made up of academy graduates. You'd have, you know, Gavi and Ford and Kubasi and Yamal and there's more. We watched under 17 Euros, uh, under 17 World Cup, under 20 World Cup. There's a lot of Barcelona players in those squads. Like they have a hell of a lot of talent. Um, but you just need the the will top down from the club that says, we're going to go in this direction. We're going to fix the balance sheet. We're going to fix the club financially. And we're going to try and, you know, build through all these amazing players that we have coming through. Um, and it might cost us, you know, two to three years in the doldrums a little bit um, in comparison to the expectations of basically winning the league every year. But sometimes they're the you know, they're the times you have to take to set yourself on the right path for 10, 15 years of prosperity into the future, which is what they had when when Pep came through and was playing, you know, all these La Masia graduates. Then they had 10, 15 years where they were one of the best teams every year, consistently won X amount of Champions Leagues, Y amount of La Liga titles. Like sometimes that's just the, the pain you have to take in the short term to, to dominate in the long term. Do they have any ex-players left who haven't managed? Anyone that wants to give it a shot? What's Puyol doing these days? Uh, they could they could put PK in. That would at least be entertaining if yeah. nothing else. Um, or how about this? Get Pep Guardiola out of the Premier League's firing lines. Well, hey, that's, you never, that's know, a job what, you never know what might happen with City. If the trial, whatever, yeah. doesn't go yeah. well, that could be the... The converging of uh, a timeline yeah. between Barcelona and Pep Guardiola that could uh, could fashion a return, but uh, you never know with Pep. I think he's unpredictable, and he's mm. probably going to go to Italy to uh, round out his list of of titles and come to Juventus after Allegri leaves. So. No, oh, he's yeah. not going to probably. Juventus. <laughs> not going That's on about Juventus. Stephen, wet dream. I think you imagine that one. <laughs> uh, mate. You're building up all these next-gen players and you're going to point a coach who doesn't play them. You can't, you can't afford to sign anyone. He's going to have to. If anyone from Spain is listening uh, with connections, Lou is free and available and he has a plan. So um, put Scout in there, see what we do. Um, boys, something finally happened in the January transfer window. Uh, Antonio Nusa is on his way to Brentford. Uh, this is a player that we've spoken about loads. Is it? He's a scout fifty guy, right? Pretty he sure is. he's in the list. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think there's been, from what I've seen, a, a lot of chatter online about almost surprise that uh, a club like Brentford have pulled this off. Um, is that a case of Noosa's young and really exciting, and so everyone expects him to make a bigger jump, um, or is this, you know, bang on where he's? his level is right now. I think there's elements of that. I think I think maybe people are overestimating what he is right now. Um he started the season really well, got a, got an injury and hasn't quite burst back into the first team yet at, at Club Brugge. But um 
I think it's a really interesting one from Brentford's perspective because they've tried to do this sort of deal before. Before Mudrick was on the on the on the table for Chelsea and Arsenal, Brentford were the club that were probably pushing hardest to get him. They almost got him, I think. So they've been in this sort of market of this up and coming, highly rated talent before. So um, and. I think the fees what upwards of twenty five million euro, thirty million, which is pretty hefty for a club like Brentford. But um, you're you're pretty you're pretty set in terms of if Brentford are, are willing to spend that money, then you're pretty guaranteed that he's a good talent, good player. So it's an interesting one. Um, he's obviously staying at Club Brugge until the summer, which is I think it was a big thing in terms of his own pathway. He wanted that. Um, so that's maybe what something that has pushed the deal over in terms of Brentford um, instead of a Spurs. So, yeah, interesting one. And, yeah, pretty much quite an interesting one. <laughs> um, for anyone who doesn't watch uh, Club Brugge, like myself, um, just a quick overview on what kind of player this guy is and what he's going to bring to Premier League uh, next year, obviously. He's a left winger. He's really shifty. He's got a good burst of pace. Um, he's a good ball striker. He he angles in off off the left side to to attack the box. Um, he can go inside outside. Uh, he's already playing for Norway at senior level. He's already combining with Udegaard and, and Holland. So there's plenty of excitement there. Um, obviously, Brentford tend to play a three five two sort of shape. So it would be interesting to see where he fits in there. I think they're probably angling towards a 4-3-3 shape. That's probably where they want to go as a uh, in, in the future. So he'd fit in pretty nicely at that left wing slot. Um, but yeah, he's exciting. Um, he did make quite a lot of sense for Spurs, I think, in terms of the profile of, of player he is, in terms of that winger that Ange Postacoglu likes off the left side, who can hit the byline and just put the ball into good areas for the likes of Richarlison, whoever, Son to score, to score tap-ins. Um, so, yeah, he made sense for Spurs, but it's, it's, it's a good coup for Brentford. Steve, anything to add? Um, I just think that these signings are always a little bit awkward in terms of if he comes over in, uh, in the summer and he isn't quite a Premier League player yet, always like a really awkward situation for the development of a player like this, I think, in the Premier League because um, they're not going to loan him out next season. And I, it's one of those ones where you could just see him playing like 800 Premier League minutes and just kind of stalling a little bit. Um, so that's my main concern. I think Premier League clubs just don't have great development pathways for these kind of expensive pre-peak players that they sign from the continent. So that would probably be my key concern. Um, other than that, like, you know, he's been a highly touted young player for a long, long time now. And I think it's a bit of a coup for, for Brentford that they can get a player um, with this kind of, of reputation through the door. But at the same time, you put a Premier League contract in front of someone with guaranteed money and a long-term contract. And I think, you, you know, it's... It's not as difficult as it may have once been for a lower level Premier League team to sign this kind of player um, as it used to be with just the the level of money that's there available for them to, to splash on wages. So, 
no, I'm I'm, I'm intrigued because, um, as Lou said, I think the the three five two problem is a a pretty um, key one that is also linked to then if he's going to get the the minutes that that he needs to to keep growing. But the yeah, the potential is enormous. Creator and goal scorer. Um, maybe in terms of like you know the player that if he just absolutely went crazy could be like is maybe someone like a Salah in terms of what he could could offer at a top 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 level. Not to say that he's going to become that, but the creator goal scorer transition winger that can can you know single-handedly tear up a flank like that's the the ceiling that you're you're hoping that he can uh, can reach if you're if you're Brentford but yeah um just a just, i guess it's the one that the, the these low premier league lower premier league teams can kind of take a risk on now the amount of money that's available but um i'm a little bit on the fence on the the percentage of these kind of moves that will turn out well in the long run and if people want more on interesting transfers or happening or not happening this january you boys are doing talking transfers over on notebook for paid members i believe um so they should go and check that out all right we'll move on to a section i'm calling watch list and this is where we pick out a few individual players that you guys have had on your radars over the past few days slash week. Um, and I want to start by, we we spoke quite in depth about Adam Wharton last week when Phil and I spoke about going to chat to him in Manchester. Um, and then after we were done recording, uh, some news broke that Crystal Palace had submitted a bid and that kind of kicked off a little bit of a media frenzy around this guy. Um, since we spoke to him, uh, Blackburn have been on a pretty rough run, but he's been scoring uh, almost every other game, I believe. Um, and so he's firmly in the shop window. Any deal seems like it's going to be, he wants to stay until the end of the season. Blackburn want to keep him until the end of the season. Um, so it looks like a pay now, get in the summer kind of deal. Um, how does he, how did Palace fit for a player like him? Lou and uh, what are what are the other kind of suitors that you would imagine in the Premier League? Because he's re- I, he's ready for the Premier League level at least at a, a slow squad kind of work his way in point, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I think Crystal Palace have traditionally been a good place for Championship for the best of the Championship to step up to the Premier League. I think the most recent examples are Abereze and Michael Elise. Look where where they are now. Um, he is that sort of player. He's that sort of profile within the championship that is sought after at Premier League level. But he has to find that right landing spot. Um, I think Palace would be a good landing spot. Obviously, there's stuff in the air about Roy Hodgson's future. But if if they do go down the route that they that they're looking to go down in terms of the next coach, in terms of a an up and coming coach like Kira McKenna. Ipswich or perhaps a Steve Cooper uh, recently at Forest, I think then Wharton to Palace is a good move. Um, yeah. What about an Alex Scott, uh, Adam Wharton midfield pivot at Bournemouth? How would that work? That's Exciting. Sound. Yeah. I pretty much build Wharton up as, as this season's Alex Scott in the championship and it's and sort of proven, proven already. Um, I think Brighton 
are a sort of club that could be interested in him. All, all of that sort of mid-table, mid-tabley upper Europa League level is 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 a good space for him. Um, even like a Newcastle, perhaps. I, th- I think as high as that, um, he's the type of profile that can that those clubs are looking for. I think the homegrown thing is is a, is a big thing for these clubs now. Um, yeah, I've I've seen rumours today that Todd Bowley has has stuck oh, his God. head into it. So that has not made me happy. I really hope that doesn't happen for for reasons. But um yeah. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Stephen, um any opinion on where he should end up other than back in the championship after two years in Chelsea's reserves side? <laughs> um I'm intrigued because I can't see like a palace being willing to sign him and send him back on loan to to Blackburn for the rest of the season. So I would be surprised if that got done in that structure. Um, I guess that's where you could see a Chelsea come in because they would be more likely to be like, okay, you can have him for six months. We don't really need him right now, but we'll we'll park him and, and bring him back. But yeah, ho- hopefully that doesn't happen because that would just be weird. Um Chelsea's uh they could build a Chelsea B and not get relegated with a midfield of like Andre Santos, Adam Wharton, Cesare Cassidy. Oh, I don't know. I <laughs> I think they would be close to getting relegated with that midfield. <laughs> um but uh, I don't know. I think he's just that kind of player that could be pretty malleable to to playing at any kind of team in that, you know, mid table ish Premier League level. Um Seems like a. I haven't seen a huge amount of him, but he seems like a pretty reliable player that puts in a consistent shift week on week. And I think once you can, once you can guarantee that, then you kind of become much more uh, useful for a Premier League team that needs that guarantee in that position. So, um, yeah, intrigued to see how it all ends up. But um, it's good to see Premier League teams routinely coming back to the championship because I think as we're seeing those top level championship performers just come in and, you know, almost to a T every single one of them, it's just, just does well. Um, so I think that says a lot about the level of the championship, the style of the championship um, and just the, the quality of players that are actually being produced to that level these days. All right. From Adam to Alex. Uh, Alexander Pavlovich started for Bayern Munich this weekend as a squeezed past Augsburg. Uh, Steve, you wanted to use this as a platform to talk a bit about Tommy tactics and his shenanigans. Um, so Bayern Munich, what's going on <laughs> as you shake your head in oh, disappointment? Yeah. So Pavlovich, I think it was his fourth Bundesliga appearance of the season. At the moment, Bayern have got a lot of players out injured, I think suspended. Uh, Kim and Jay is out at the Asian Cup and Mazraoui is out at the AFCON. Um, yeah, I watched them play against Augsburg on the weekend and they were dreadful. They won 3-2, but Augsburg missed a, a late penalty, um, had lots of chances, especially in the first half that they, they could have really uh, been in charge of, of this game. And I was just, I was just surprised because I'm well, not surprised. I shouldn't be surprised because watching the end of the, the Tuchel era at, at Chelsea, it was just like so hard to watch um, the ball progression, just painful, everything so slow and so static. 
Um, and it's amazing that then he can have a team with Kane and Musiala and things just don't look linked up and don't look right. They scored a bunch of goals this season. I haven't watched you know, a huge amount of the other games, but just weird. Just weird. And as you said, throwing his ring in for then the Barca job, which I think would be the weirdest fit ever as well. Um, but just, just philosophically, the way that Tuchel does things is very... Um, you know, very set in his ways. He wants these veteran players to play every week. And for a team like Bayern, who have some really, really good players coming through, I think it would be hugely uh, demoralizing, especially, you know, I looked at the bench before the game started and I saw Lovros Vonarek, who has played some pretty good games uh, in the Wayfield Youth League this season. I saw Adam Asnu, who has just been incredible at that level as well, put in some of the best performances I think I've ever seen in the Wayfield Youth League. And I'm waiting for them to come on, waiting for them to come on. Bayern with 3-1 up. There's like 10 minutes left. And then the double substitution comes and it's uh, Thomas Muller coming on and Eric Chupo Motim. Um, Baller. And I, my brain almost exploded. I was like, <laughs> 3-1 up. You've got two players that can make a debut who deserve it. They're putting in the hard yards at, at the youth, at youth level. They're sitting on the bench just waiting to come on. And he doesn't play them. Well, he bought he bought Zvonarek on, I think, with 30 seconds left. Now, imagine you're a youth player. Your team's 3-1 up, and your manager goes to the bench, and he doesn't even look at you. And then he subs you on with 30 seconds left, and you do not touch the ball. Um, there's just so much that goes into coaching. This isn't just like the 11 that you put out on any given day. Um, you know, the squad... The squad aspect of, of, of managing players and their emotions and rewarding them for, for doing well. Um, you know, there's so much that goes into it. And I think if, if you're one of those two players sitting on the bench waiting to come on, it would have been just massively demoralizing. Um, and they're two players that Bayern will, will want to keep developing and and um, and bring into the first team at some point. And so to see them starved of opportunity like that in a moment that they they could have come on and and, and had an impact for, for 10, 15 minutes, I think is uh, I think is a bit of a, a blight on the Tuchel approach, um, which is very short-termist, always has been. Um, Bayern are still trading Xabi Alonso's by Leverkusen at the top of the Bundesliga, but it feels a bit like, I mean, as an outsider, it just feels like the Real Madrid chasing Girona kind of thing. Um, Lou, any thoughts on the season and uh, where it's going? I'd just like to speak about Tuchel, really. Um yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give him a bit of fair dues in terms of Pavlovich because he wasn't a particularly highly regarded prospect within the Bayern Academy. Um, I was impressed by him when watching him in the youth in the in the youth league. Um, so Tuchel sort of plucked him out of of not nowhere, but he's plucked him out of of not being that particularly highly rated, and and he's trusted him this season. But um, I think the stick that you can really bash Tuchel with is Matisse Tell. Uh, he hasn't started a single Bundesliga game this season. Um, it when when the move initially happened, I think a lot of people were down on it because of what he is. He's, he was leaving Stad Ren for Bayern, but I I sort of saw some logic in it in terms of how he could go into a a very controlled environment at Bayern under then uh, Nagelsmann. He could get those minutes in in, in a weaker league. Well, in in terms of Bayern being the strongest team. In, in the league and, and they could afford him those sort of minutes gradually and build him up into a starting player. But Tuchel 
just hasn't used him at all, basically. He's just thrown him in at the end of games, last 30, last 20, in in pretty much dead time where they're either chasing a game or they're 3-4-0 up. So that has done nothing for his development. Um, so that's the stick to bash Tuchel with. And I think there's a there's a good thing, well, not a good thing, that there's a there's a clash coming up now in terms of Bayern have appointed Stefan Freund, who was the ex-Red Bull Salzburg technical, technical director. And his poor prints are already over a lot of their transfer dealings in terms of Iran Kunda. They're, they're targeting young talent at pretty chunky fees. And those are the talents that need the pathways into, into first-team football. And Tuchel is, just isn't the coach to, to provide them. So, um, yeah, I can't see him staying at Bayern for much longer if this is the re- if this is the direction they're going in, could um, Mattis tell play with Kane? Probably, I I think he could play him off the left. I he think came that's on, probably where he came he's... on after thirty minutes in this game. Um, <clears throat> can't remember who got injured. Uh, Kings of Coman came off injured after 20, 26 minutes, and Tell came on. Who and he played pretty well. Just kind of scuffed a few pretty decent chances, but I think yeah, they definitely can play together. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much where he probably projects best going into senior football is off that left wing as that as that secondary scorer type. Um, he was a centre forward at, at youth level, but he was just bigger and better than everyone pretty much. So to get him up against those bigger centre backs at senior level, it will probably be difficult for his game. But if you get him out into those wider areas, angling in that sort of Thierry Henry-esque sort of finish, that sort of, those sort of areas, I think that suits him well. Last week, Steve, you you said uh, we should all watch Bayer Leverkusen so we could talk about them. Uh, we weren't able to do that this week. But next week, I think that's definitely on the, the cards because that's actually a team I have watched a couple of times this year. Everyone uh, clap. Yeah, um, I said we'd watch them and then I realised on Saturday night that they were playing at the same time as Juventus. So I had to abort mission on that one and watch some Allegri ball instead. I'm sure that's a decision you feel validated in. Um Final player on the watch list is one Junpei Hayakawa. How do I do? We had a little discussion pre-podcast about how to pronounce that. Um, So as I mentioned last week, Lou, you've been working with the J-League on some um, scouting content for them, taking a look at some of the players that are on their next-gen pathway list, um, which is uh, a little program that they run to kind of um, highlight some of the talent coming through because it's uh, certainly an emerging market that's moving into the mainstream with uh, players like, um, oh, I've gone blank. Kari Matoma, thank you. Yeah. Me. Thank Takehiro you. Tomiyasu. Yeah, exactly. Um, and coaches <laughs> like Ange Postacoglu, obviously. Um, so you've been taking a look at who's next. And uh, Hayakawa is a player that you wasn't on your radar until J League pointed him out to you, I believe. You went then went away, watched a ton of footage, and have written some stuff on him for Notebook. So, um, yeah, some words on who he is and why you're so into him. Yeah, so he's the youngest player that that played in the J League last year. Obviously, it's a it's a calendar year season. So, um, in 2023, 2005er. Um, he wasn't on my radar, but he hasn't played much either. So it's not a surprise that he wasn't on my radar. But um, still, all the same, I think 
when you watch him, you can really see the the potential that's there. Um, he's he's very small, but he's already quite stocky. His his, his lower body is 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 really is really strong, which affords him a really nice balance to to just bump and, and just bump and um, bounce between players at, at senior level. Um, he's a really diligent defender, really t- t- uh, tenacious when he's uh, pressing, when he's tracking back, carrying back, um, and then when he's in attack, he's good in transition. He's a he's a multi-faceted attacker in terms of he can find those little combos. He can he can shift and shoot off either foot. He can arrive into good areas. He can find decent passes. So he's he's one for twenty twenty four definitely. I I can see him stepping up into a bigger role at Urawa Red Diamonds and and really exploding if he gets enough minutes. And he's the type of profile that can that can come into Europe pretty quickly then after. This is the part of the podcast where I would usually talk about what we've got coming up on on uh, Notebook this week. Um, however, we covered most of it last week because uh, we've had some production delays. Um, we do have, Phil is working on an extra profile on Joel Hato um, from Ajax. So that should be coming up this week. But otherwise, we've still got Steve's thing on the World Cups coming up, uh, specifically on the gap between youth and senior football and i've um i've been editing that and it's very good let me tell you aye, aye, um, hell yeah brother um so look forward to that that's going to be in two parts because he uh went sicko mode and wrote a load of stuff um otherwise anything else to point and out Kunda's coming too, too yeah iran kunda's been pushed back but that's coming this week um and i will have a little blog out if anyone follows my technical area blogs where i talk about everything going on behind the scenes here uh that's coming this week as well as i chat about january and all the stuff that we've been doing to kick off the year um i love writing those i can't lie so if you read them thanks so much boys i don't know where what we're doing for time there's no timer on this thing but yes there um, is but we got plenty of time for your favorite segment i can tell you that right now all right i'm rubbing my hands Boys and girls, this is your favourite game show. Welcome to Handbook History. Play the jingle. There is no jingle. I made that <laughs> up. Um, so, if you weren't here last week, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read out a series of clues, and the boys have to guess which player from our Handbook History I'm talking about. For anyone that doesn't know, over eight years... We published 100 profiles a year. It's it's not 800. It's just under 800, I think. Somewhere around there. Uh, on, um, 600 and something. 600 and something. So there's, a, there's a, a ton of players to choose from. So we used to go deep on 100 players a year, dating all the way back to the end of 2015, start of 2016. And I'm going to put the boys' knowledge of these players to the test. The clues get go from more more obscure if i've done my job right they might be you might get in straight away i hope not um they go from more obscure to less obscure and whoever guesses first is the winner i've done a little bit of a rule tweak because obviously last week was a bit of a pilot episode um i've what's the world rule tweak i've done i can't even remember there is no rules <laughs> I think the rule is that um, 
I had to work harder this week because I was expecting Lou to be on. So I thought, Jesus Christ, I better step up my game. Um, I'm already expecting. Okay, the okay, okay. There. Yeah, you should be. Here's, okay. here's what we're going to do. When we're counting points, you get three points for guessing in round one, two points for guessing in round two, and one for guessing in round three. Okay. So when we tally up the points at the end of the season, the person who gets it in the most obscure uh, clue is going to have the most points. Otherwise, I think we'll just, it's chaos mode. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Here we go. All right. Player one. Clue one. Do we have to buzz in? Do we have to buzz in? Yes. You get an extra point if you make a funny noise when you buzz mm-hmm. in. That's a, that's a dangerous precedent. But it has been set. <laughs> okay. Player one. Clue one. Scouted football handbook. Volume five. That is a Lautaro Martinez cover from 2020. Okay, clue two. In 2017, a steamed Twitter account at Scouted Football tweeted this player was, quote, coming on to make his Champions League debut. This was despite the player making his Champions League debut two years earlier in a game against Shakhtar Donetsk. <laughs> He was a second half substitute in that game and he came on for Lucas Mora. Oh. I was gonna go with N, but not N Um You can have one oh. guess around. I'm not sure if I said that. Alright. Oh <sighs> That was Lou's buzzer. Christopher. I was gonna guess Kunkel? this person as well. Jesus Christ. I knew oh, I should have made it harder. I was, was going to fucking guess in cookie as well. Oh, no. Oh, I, I knew was... I couldn't I couldn't make any, like, I couldn't reference the club at all. Come on. I was, was going to say either Nkunku or Musa Diaby. Yes, it was uh, Christopher Nkunku. Um, I guess I'll just read out the rest of the bloody things that I spent <laughs> time working on. Um Clue three, he was on the 25-man long list for his nation squad in Qatar, but dropped out before the tournament start. Um, round two, clue one. I actually put an excerpt in here from the profile that I hoped was going to throw you off. The profile was written by Peter Manelli, um, and he was talking about his tackling ability. So I was like, are they thinking about a forward maybe, Lucas Morris kind of thing? I was going to throw him off by talking about his tackling. Didn't work, obviously. Um and then clue two, round two. He's one of two players in history to register four assists in a single Bundesliga game. Round three, clue one. Like so many of us, he has been deeply hurt by Ed Sheeran. Um, a reference to him getting injured in preseason for Chelsea after an Ed Sheeran concert ruined the pitch he was playing on. <laughs> um, clue two, his middle name is Alan. And clue three, joined the Premier League uh, in the summer for a lot of money and has made three appearances so far. I think the new strategy is not to tell us which handbook it's from. No, no. That, in the first round. Me, in the first the, round. But to me, that's so that's such an obscure... Well, you can remember them, can you? Uh, from the book. A tiny bit. Oh. Anyway, let's go, let's go to the second it. one. Stick with it. Stick with let's, it. I just know this, this guy, there is no way in hell you don't get this guy immediately. 
I've I've made a dis, a disaster error in judgment. <laughs> <sighs> right. <laughs> Clue one. <laughs> Scouted football handbook volume one with uh, esteemed world superstar Diego Lainez on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, playing in Mexico now. Clue two, this player burst onto the scene at under-17 level by scoring two late free kicks to help his nation come from behind and beat Russia 2-1 at under-17 level. Next. Clue three. Oh, you're going to get this. God damn it. He was voted the Austrian Bundesliga's Player of the Season in 2020. Oh, Dominic Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. All right, boys. I'm going to have to start. That was that, that I'm gonna have to talk. A very easy, though. Yeah. You bottled yeah. it with that clue. That was a round three clue. I think what I'm going to have to start doing is referencing their star signs or something. <laughs> um, Don't worry coming up that. with. Yeah, you would know when. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, that's oh, it. We need a leaderboard update now. We need a leaderboard update. Is that it? I only did two. I didn't think you'd get them in four seconds. You mean, now it's one all. No, it's not. It's 3-3. Three, three. Uh, yeah, it's 3-3, three, three, and Phil is on one. Actually, I'm on four year. because I got one last Yeah, do you know what? I went back and listened to last week's podcast. I realized you cheated. Right. Why? You said you made a, an, a second guess in round two, and then you said if I get it wrong, it will count as my round three guess, and Phil yep. can just. But then Phil got it take like, it. in the last round anyway. No, you got it. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> sucks to suck everyone else. <laughs> and sucks to suck at making these clues. Right. I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board on this, boys. I'm going to have to properly talk about what colored boots they were wearing on a Tuesday in 2019. Um, to outthink your big brains. All right, anyway, that was a flop, but uh, we march on. That's it. That's all we've got. That's all she wrote. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get out of here? I'll edit it in like a like a little editing gremlin. Nothing. Just subscribe to Scouted Notebook. Please. <laughs> Please. Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing to add, but thank you all for listening. All right. We'll see you next week for round three of Handbook History, which will be, or oh, you're going to need a PhD in, in Scouted, I'll tell you that. Um, please sign up to Scouted Notebook, please. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Absolute guide. We just need the dumb people on. <laughs> <laughs>